Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So, Eric Bilstadt, do you ever... Do you ever do stuff, and in the middle of your, where you're doing it, you're, you're thinking, in the back of your mind, there's a little voice saying, this really is not a good idea, but you're, you're still going ahead and doing it? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay, so for example, this, this is like yesterday morning. I, I'm at my desk at the house, and I'm, I'm getting ready for the show, and I, I have all these different stories and stuff and all this different paper, and I, I'm there with the stapler, like stapling mm-hmm. you know, the different, different stories and putting this all together, and the piece of junk stapler that I, that I have up on my desk that I keep meaning to replace with a better one, it, it jams okay. like it inevitably does. And it, it jams so like there's a there's like a staple that's not coming out. You know, it's one where it kind of like mashed in there. So I'm futzing with the thing, and I, I've kind of, I'm holding the base of the stapler in, in my right hand, and I, I'm kind of like pounding on it with my left mm-hmm. hand, and I, I'm able to get the staple loose. But in doing that, this, I staple my thumb. <laughs> oh, I staple my thumb, and and it, it's just it's kind of like honest to, and and so you know I, I I pull it out and it's not a bleeding thing, but it's one of these puncture things. So now mm. my my thumb on my right hand is like swelling up because uh, again it, it's not infected or anything. It's just it's that puncture of wound course, that's right, there, yeah. and it hurts like you know what. It hurts <laughs> like the Dickens. And I remember as I did it, I'm thinking, you know, this is it, it, it's. What a stupid thing, because what do I think? I'm trying to get the staple to come out. Mm-hmm. So, And if my thumb happens to be under the base of the stapler, where do I think it's going to come out from? Ooh. It hurts. So that's it. So one thumb is like decidedly bigger than the other thumb. <laughs> and of course, it's on my right hand, and I'm very right handed. Hand so you're right? kind of like, oh, man. There you go. 2020 strikes again. Yeah, right. 2020, or, you know, Jeff wasn't thinking his way through this. Just more motivation to go buy a new stapler. All right. Let's launch the program. As I was mentioning to Steve, I don't know if we're going to talk about this during the program or not. Um, President Trump. Um, has has just carried through with his promise to release the footage of his interview with 60 Minutes. Now, over the last two days, President Trump has has picked a fight with with Leslie Stahl. For people who don't know, she's one of the columnists. She's one of the reporters on on 60 Minutes. He agrees to a sit down with her in the White House so on Sunday. 60 Minutes is going to be doing uh, a thing with Trump and a thing with with Biden. And um, he was unhappy with the tone of the interview and the questions, and he thinks he was being treated unfairly compared to Joe Biden, et cetera, et cetera. In any event, the interview is about 37 minutes, and then he, he pretty much calls it off. He was saying that he was going to release this. Now, during apparently like 60 minutes has their camera people that are there, and I presumably their view is they're, they're filming President Trump, and they probably also have somebody else that's filming Leslie Stahl. The, the White House feed, they must have had their own camera there, and it's just focused exclusively on President Trump. So the, the thing that the Trump administration released is just 37 minutes focused on President Trump, and you can hear Leslie Stahl's voice asking questions in the give and take. It is extremely contentious, and um, there, there, there's no question she's she's 
pushing him and he doesn't like the the tone of the questions and he doesn't think he's being treated fairly in any event if you want to watch it it's 37 minutes long um i i have a link if you follow me on twitter it's at jeff wagner 620 i've got a link to that it's being billed as the full unedited preview of the full unedited version of of the interview i guess watching it it reminds me of the old adage that just because you're paranoid and i think that fairly describes, I mean, some of the concerns that the president has over the years, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you. I, I don't I, I don't know. I don't really take a position on the wisdom of, of releasing this. My beef has been, I think, two weeks out from the election, the president's campaign has co- sort of lost focus in that he's not running against Leslie Stahl, and he's not running against Anthony Fauci. He, he, he's running against Joe Biden. And for every Every moment you spend concentrating on on Leslie Stahl or the 60 Minutes interview or that thing, it, it's it's something that distracts you away from what should, at least in my opinion, be the primary focus, which is arguing why you are better for the country than Joe Biden. But that that's that's just me. In any event, if you want to see some or all of it, um, at if you follow me again on Twitter, at Jeff Wagner 620, I've got a link up there. I also have another link to one of them. I, I label this story as I, I understand it, you could put this in the category of no good deed goes unpunished. But I, I do admit I, I wanted to share with you the first thing that came to my mind when I saw this story. Obviously, we are in the middle of a pandemic. Obviously, I, I firmly believe that one of our ways out of this were to minimize problems before we get a vaccine is you need to have testing. You, you need to have contact tracing. You need to identify people who test positive and then get to them and get them quarantined um, so they're not out and about. So testing is a really, really good thing, as is contact tracing. So I'm encouraging it, it, it's a good thing to do that. And it, it's a good thing that all around here in Milwaukee and elsewhere, you have agencies that have, have opened up COVID testing places. And that, that's good. And they're, they're doing community testing at Miller Park. And that's, that's very, very good. It's a, it's a positive thing. Um, at the same time, I, I do admit my first thought when I saw this, the health department put out a, a statement, uh, yesterday talking about how they are offering free shuttle service on buses to Miller Park for the COVID-19 testing. The shuttles are going to operate continuously from 10.30 in the morning till 6 o'clock p.m. on week, weekdays, beginning a half hour before the testing starts. I'm reading from the press release. The shuttle provides an additional way for people to access testing. Miller Park site is already open to both drive up and walk up patrons. So I get it. It's a good thing. They want to make it easier for people to get tested. I, I, I always, though, think about kind of the real world. And I, I remember when I saw this, I'm thinking... Okay, let's say I'm concerned that I have have COVID or maybe I've been exposed and I want to go get tested. I don't know about you, but how many people are going to jump on a bus and ride on the bus with other people who think that they have COVID or might have been exposed? And and I understand they say people are going to be required to wear masks and they're going to be socially distanced. But I, I just have to say, if if I think I might be sick, jumping on a bus with other people who think they might be sick, masks or social distancing aside, is the last thing I'm going to do. Now, I, you want to go get tested. I'm going to bum a ride. Hey, you know, hey, Frank, you know, can you give me a ride out there or whatever? I'm just I'm kind of wondering how many people are going to jump on on this bus that's dedicated to taking people out to get tested. I'm I'm just I'm just saying 
you you wonder, and it's a good idea. I, I get it. They want to make it easier for people to get tested. I'm just thinking, huh, I, I wonder how many people are going to jump on a bus with other people who think that in all likelihood they might have been exposed or they have concerns. Be curious to see how many people end up riding the, the, the bus to the COVID testing center. I've got a link to that story as well if you want to follow me. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. And I appreciate that. I appreciate the desire. What they're trying to do is they're trying to make it easier for people to get tested and find out if they have it. That is a noble that is a noble desire. I understand what they're doing. I'm just wondering how many people in the real world are actually going to take advantage of that. When we come back, a Milwaukee alderman decides to take on the police department in a very, in my opinion, peculiar way. I will explain and we will discuss. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. One of the uh, breaking news stories is the the officer who was charged with various counts in connection with the the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis. Court hearing on that today. Uh, The judge dismissed one of the three charges against him. It was the least significant of the three, and I think most legal analysts felt it was, without getting too far into the weeds, it was legally flawed. So, I mean, the headline is, you know, one of the murder charges dismissed, but it it was the, the least significant of the three charges. The two more significant charges are going to continue to go to trial, and the other officers who were charged along with him, the judge found there was a sufficient basis for that that proceeding to to go out. So for for people who, who might say, oh, murder charge dropped, or the, the the officer isn't going free. That the two most significant counts against him proceed, and all other officers go to trial as well. So that's kind of the breaking news story there. All right, I have in my hands a press release um, that was issued by Milwaukee Alderman Khalif J. Rainey. Here's the headline. Disallowing canines as use of force to go before the Public Health and Safety Committee. The Public Health and Safety Committee on Thursday, October 22nd, that's today, will take up legislation that would urge the Milwaukee Fire and Police Commission to disallow the use of canines by Milwaukee police as a use of force. Um, the measure, sponsored by Alderman Khalif Rainey, would address concerns of using canines in for- use of force situations in accordance with standard operating procedure. Okay, then it goes on to say, non-white suspects constitute the largest numbers of injuries resulting from dog bites, and the history of canines being used against people of color gives ample reasoning to amend the police department's standard operating procedure. The legislation would change a policy that is both demeaning and dangerous to the citizens of Milwaukee. Alderman Rainey said, it has long been true that canines are used disproportionately on people of color, and it is necessary for us to take action to prevent anyone from being victim of vicious canine attacks moving forward. There were 200,000 canine attack canines used by Nazi Germany on the battlefield and in their camps, and they were used to brutally attack and maim any enemies of the Nazi party. I'm quoting from the press release. And untold numbers of Jews were viciously killed at the hands of these attack dogs. Nazis took pleasure in letting the dogs do their work in such a vicious manner that it is almost too gruesome to even contemplate. Police dogs were unleashed on black protesters during the civil rights era, and most notably at the Selma March. 
protesters were bitten and lunged upon by these dogs as police used the canines to enforce the law and contain the protesters. Hardly any protection was provided by the police during these marches, and many protesters were left at the mercy of dogs that had been trained to kill. All right, these practices from decades ago are still sadly in place today. And the use of police dogs has a much darker history than is typically realized by people who have only seen the dogs as wagging tails and friendly faces. All right. So that's the that's it. Police dogs. Now, you will notice that what what is missing from this motion is, of course, any evidence suggesting that Milwaukee police have used police dogs in the fashion that, I don't know, uh, people did, that law enforcement did in, in Selma in the 50s or early 1960s, or that the Nazis did on the battlefield in 1942. Nevertheless, that is the illusion I have in my hands. The response to this from the Milwaukee Police Association. Let me read you a portion of it. Alderman Khalif Rainey's comparison of the Milwaukee Police Department's canine unit to the canines that were used by Nazi Germany is uncalled for. The Nazi Germany, as you call it, used dogs to help kill millions of innocent Jewish lives. As a matter of fact, the Milwaukee canine unit has saved many citizens and many officers. For you to compare the Milwaukee canine unit to Nazi Germany, it either shows your complete lack of respect for the Jewish community or your ignorance of history. It also proves Alderman Rainey's ignorance and discrimination against the canine unit and the police department as a whole. Anyone who signs onto this legislation shows they are ignorant of Milwaukee Police Department policies and practices. The canine unit not only protects the lives of citizens of Milwaukee, they also provide a value service to the department and the community as a whole. Please, Alderman Rainey, this is the Police Association statement, tell me where the canine unit actively bit Anyone during the protests in Milwaukee, please, Alderman Rainey, tell me where the canine unit did anything wrong. The Milwaukee police canines train to save lives. Milwaukee canines do not just attack citizens. While many other jurisdictions are having fundraisers and other events for their canine unit, the city of Milwaukee is looking at destroying its unit. You and your fellow alder person should be ashamed of yourselves by using the word Nazi Germany and comparing them to police officers. The Milwaukee Police Association demands an apology for the men and women that we represent and for your insensitivity to the Jewish community. That's the statement issued by Dale Borman, who's the president of the Milwaukee Police Association. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I, I understand we, we live in this, this era where you have politicians that are out there looking for, trying to offer solutions to problems that do not I- exist. Um, in another life, you know, I, I worked with the Milwaukee Police Department's canine unit. I worked with the bomb-sniffing dogs. I worked with the drug-sniffing dogs. And, and yes, I know they have other draw- dogs that, for example, you know, when when they're going on the raids, when they're kicking in the doors of the drug houses and stuff, they, they use... They use the dogs. I have never, and I guess never is a long time, but I am not aware of instances where you have Milwaukee dogs used by the police department that are sicked onto innocent people or used to defer protesters or whatever. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. There's a lot of crazy stuff going on nowadays, and I lump this in that same category. Is there any reason in God's green earth to say we're not going to allow the canine unit to go out and assist the police 
when they are in some of these high-risk situations? My answer would be anybody that thinks anything other is completely and totally clueless, but I'm willing to discuss. 855-616-1620. And anybody from law enforcement who has experience working with the canine units, I would value your insight as well, because my guess is you might have a different perspective on this than the Milwaukee alderman who's decided to lump the use of police dogs in with Nazi Germany. Give me strength. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. David in Mequon. David, good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Really quickly, just to start off, full disclosure, I'm Jewish. And, uh, you know, to compare this to Nazi Germany is just, that's just asinine. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, the second, the second thing is this, um, you know, the police dogs obviously are there to de-escalate as much as possible in mm-hmm. tricky situations and preventing the officer for having to use a gun potentially or what have you. And, you know, the last time I looked, when was the last time a dog, police dog actually killed somebody, uh, let alone, you know, right. do anything. I mean, obviously they can certainly injure somebody, right. but to just slowly to disarm the police where they have no ability to <clears throat> do much of anything is not a good idea. Well, yeah. you know, you know, David, you know, one of the most one of the, one of the most common uses of police dogs is and a number of people are making this point in texts. You, you've got a burglary suspect who's hiding in a house. What you do, that, that that dog can find that person in in a tenth of the time it takes for police officers to search that the house, putting themselves at all sorts of risk. You put that dog in there, the dog has a much greater chance of finding the person quickly, and then you, you can apprehend them. I, I guess it's just, I, I'm, I am unaware, David, and look, and I, I, I understand, I've seen the films from World War II, yes, I, I've seen the, the pictures at the prison camps and things in the concentration camps. I, I don't see the yeah. city of Milwaukee doing that. I don't see any record of the city of Milwaukee police officers indiscriminately sicking attack dogs on on people. It's just, it doesn't exist. Exactly. Exactly. To your point, I mean, you know, we're comparing two different scenarios, at least uh, Mr. Rainey is, and there's no comparison. It's it's not even close. And to uh, the other, some of the other people are texting about with you know, trying to apprehend uh, the criminal, yes, they can find that criminal a lot faster uh, for a variety of reasons. One of them, you know, the ability just, you know, the, their nose and everything else, they right. can smell where these people are, and that's what they're for. Yeah. They're there to protect not only the officer, but from getting the bad guy from, you know, yeah. getting on the loose. No, exactly. Right. No, th- thanks for the call. And, and again, there, there's no... There is no history of abuse in the Milwaukee Police Department. This is it, it is a completely manufactured problem. And I mean, I understand why the police union is so upset to liken the Milwaukee Police Department and their use of the canines to Nazi Germany is just so staggeringly historically stupid and offensive.
offensive that you wonder where you, you just wonder how anybody can even utter something like this to liken the Milwaukee Police Department's use of canines to, oh, this reminds me of Selma, Alabama, you know, in, in the early 60s when, you know, Bull Connor, you know, attacked, you know, put sick dogs on, on protesters. Oh, OK, th- this isn't 1960. I'm, I'm sorry, 1962 is is calling and it wants its issue back. And yet this is what's going on. Milwaukee police officers put in constant jeopardy. What you have now is you have the homicide rate in the city through the roof. You have crime through the roof and you have Milwaukee aldermen who are trying to, for whatever political purpose, pandering as they are to, I guess, certain members of their constituency. But at the same time, I mean, who, who is who is in favor of this? Who's been attacked by a police dog? It's disgraceful. The Nazi Germany analogies are disgusting. And this alderman should apologize and be ashamed of himself for doing it. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I am glad you seem to get how both stupid and offensive these allegations against the Milwaukee Police Department and the K-9 unit are coming out from Alderman Khalif Rainey and, and perhaps some others. If you're just tuning in, there's this motion to force the Fire and Police Commission to force the Milwaukee Police Department to stop using canines, their canine dogs, in, in any situation where they may be allowed to, I don't know, um, exercise some degree of violence on somebody. So that this idea, where they typically use them, like I say, the SWAT team is going through the door at a drug house. Well, in an effort to protect protect the officers, they, they let the dogs go in first in many cases. You get in a situation where there's a burglary suspect hiding somewhere in the house rather than the officers having to go door to door, room to room, risk getting themselves shot. You, you let the canine go in and the canine's going to be able to locate that person is a general rule a lot quicker there's all sorts of other uses but you know in the city of milwaukee now you have a couple aldermen saying okay because in nazi germany they used attack dogs to guard the concentration camps we we can't allow milwaukee police 80 years later to use attack to use some of these canines to try to protect themselves and the general public it is insane and often and again when whenever you use references to nazi germany uh, and Hitler and these type of attacks, you, you need to be really careful because it, it is offensive to a lot of people and it shows a staggering hyster- uh, historical ignorance to the, the horrors of what really went on in Nazi Germany. And by the way, that this alderman's motion would have a lot more appeal if they could point to any instances in the city of Milwaukee where the police misused their their canines and so far none of them jeff there are over 50,000 canine dogs in the u.s um yeah jeff i thought we needed more non-lethal options for law enforcement how dumb um yes um jeff does he have a point that the dogs were improperly and viciously used in the south why does he maintain that as being done here? Well, there, there's no evidence of that. Jeff, can we use police kittens? Well, I think there might be an example of that. Um, yeah, let's, let's get those police kittens. Um, Jeff, I believe it was a canine that assisted in apprehending terrorists overseas. I say, you know, let put them to work. Well, absolutely. That's... That's the whole idea. Jeff, with all the crazy things that Milwaukee aldermen have been doing over the past few months, marching with some of the protesters, 
telling them that they should be able to block streets while marching in the megaphone. I believe that some of those folks should step down as aldermen. This just puts the icing on the cake. It goes on and it goes on and it goes on. Jeff, I think the aldermen should do a ride-along with a canine unit. When they get a call of a burglary with a suspect in the building, let the alderman go first without the canine. See how long it takes him to find the suspect compared to what it would take the dog to find the suspect. I think the problem here is that you don't put yourself in a position that officers have when they have the ability to use the canine. Um, just, again, it's one of these things that just makes your head want to explode. And this idea that, here, let's try to think of whatever thing we can do to pander to a certain segment of the community, and if it makes the community more dangerous, if it makes it easier for people to commit crimes and escape, if it makes it more dangerous for police officers to do their job, we don't care. We don't care because we're going to pander politically. Shame. And then, again, the Nazi Germany analogy. Shame on him. The reference to uh, civil rights protesters in Selma, Alabama in the 60s. Shame on them. That's not Milwaukee in 2020. All right. Let us switch gears. Tonight is the second and final debate between President Trump and former Vice President Biden. We all know the one that was supposed to be scheduled last week has been taken off, uh, was taken off because the president tested positive for COVID and did not want to agree to a a virtual event. This is going to be head-to-head, hour and a half in Nashville. The rule change is that for the first, there's going to be six 15-minute segments on various topics. The rule change is for the first four minutes, the two minute, the the question is posed to one of the candidates and that candidate gets two minutes and then the other candidate gets two minutes to respond. And then there's after that, there's another 11 minutes of back and forth for those first two two minute segments. The opposing candidates microphone will be turned off, presumably to prevent either President Trump or Joe Biden from interrupting his opponent when they speak. All right. The polls conventional wisdom, and I know some of you don't want to hear this, some of you choose not to believe it, but the conventional wisdom is that President Trump is behind in this race, and this is this is the last occasion where the two are going to be on the stage together. It's the last chance that both of them have to reach out to the entire nation, not just their their supporters. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What does President Trump need to do? And I'm going to operate on this premise, and I know some of you reject it, and that's fair enough, that he is behind in the race. What does President Trump need to do, if anything, to change the dynamic? What do you want to see him do or try to accomplish at this debate? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. My first comment is he has to be laser-like. He has to stay on point. He has to focus on the two or three things that he thinks might move the needle in terms of getting people to vote for him instead of Joe Biden. And that, to me, would be, number one, convincing people that he has a strategy to get us out of this pandemic. Number two, convincing people that he is better suited to help restore the economy than Joe Biden. And Joe Biden. Those would be the top two. 855-616-1620. But I think it has to be focused. What do you think he needs to do? We discuss. 
man's best friend can benefit from CBD oil too. Bring in any competitor's CBD pet product and receive 20% off your first purchase at American Shaman. CBD American Shaman doesn't make claims. Their customers do. American Shaman, a CBD like no other. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. The other thing that makes that makes this debate more difficult for candidates trying to change momentum or things is the fact that you, you have so much early voting going on. Um, Wisconsin, two weeks before the election, just in Wisconsin, oh, more than a million people have already cast absentee ballots. As I said, I, first day of early absentee in-person early voting was Monday. I, I went, my wife and I voted. So I, I have already voted. It, it doesn't matter what happens at the debate tonight. I, I've cast my vote. So, and, and there's a million other people in Wisconsin who have already done that and tens of millions of people across the country. So that makes it even more difficult to try to, I don't know, change momentum. But what, what do you want to see from the president tonight? What do you think he needs to do if we accept the premise that Joe Biden is ahead? And, and again, you, I understand some people don't want to accept that premise, but, you know, work with me on this. Let's start with um, Ryan in Waukesha. Ryan, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Good afternoon to you. Hi, Ryan. So I think that Trump needs to do two things uh, in order to maybe generate a little more momentum. I, I already think that anyone who has been a part of or will be a part of the first few days of early in-person voting, absentee voting, have already made up their mind, and there's nothing either candidate could have said or would say that would sway the election. Yep. However, two things that Trump could do tonight is really hammer down on this New York Post story. The and Hunter Biden the, the Hunter Biden story and the follow-up statement that was released by the person claiming to be a business partner or a business associate of Hunter Biden. That statement was released today or right. yesterday, perhaps. And then the second thing that uh, he does, and this is the big ask for Trump, is that he needs to be more firm on his position following the example that Vice President Pence sent in his debate, really nailing down and following through on speaking on a specific topic. Uh, because, of the, because of Trump's nature, he has a hard time doing that. He just has to respond to everything that is brought up. And I believe that people get lost in the mix of what he's actually trying to say to the people of America. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, keeping him focused and on point is is a challenge. It's one of the things, Ryan, that's kind of frustrated me about this this whole campaign. I, I, I think Trump has all sorts of compelling stories to tell. You know, the, the economy was going great guns before March. You know, and you can argue whether it was the greatest economy or ever, but it was, the economy was going great guns. There's all these accomplishments. COVID has changed that. And I mean, I think people, people want to hear about the stuff that matters to them like gee I, I don't want to get sick I don't want my mom to get sick I and I I, I don't want to lose my job or if I've lost my job I want to be able to get the job back that's what I think people care about and and they want to hear that message what are you going to do to help me do that I agree I think that's a very fair point and just like you said he does have accomplishments in those areas and uh, he just has a problem yeah. Not being blown around by whichever direction the wind is. No, th- thanks for the call. Well, and and it is. It's. I mean, and per- some of it is the scattergun style that 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 he has. And, and you're right. I mean, he is. 
he is incredibly thin-skinned, and he feels the need to. I, I've been I've been railing about this for a couple of weeks, and whenever I do this, I get all these texts. Oh, you're nothing but a never Trumper. No, it's just having watched the campaign. I, I I just you know when you're a week or two out, you have to figure out. I think what is it that is going to move the needle? What is it that people care about? And and maybe I'm going to be completely wrong on this, but the, the people that I know, I mean, they they care about you know when are we going to get back to normal? You know when. What is it going to take to get us through this pandemic? Give us that vision. And then the whole economy thing. That's that's what I think is affecting people. And I, I mean, the, the Hunter Biden stuff, to me, it, it's a distraction. And I, again, I, I understand there's some people who just, oh, this means Joe Biden is corrupt and crooked and all these things. Ah, okay. But but I don't think that's going to generate, that's not going to move the needle as far as getting these undecided voters, if there are anybody out there, to actually go and, and vote for for Trump. I, I just, I think that's a sideshow because if people, even if people accept the premise that, okay, Hunter Biden was a, a sleazy influence peddler, which I believe he was, and, and Joe Biden didn't do very much, if anything, to rein in his son, okay, th- th- that's all well and good. I think people can accept that. But then they still say, "Okay, um, I don't want to get COVID. And, you know, what's the solution to this? And I'm worried about my job or my son just lost his job. Those are the things that I think people want to hear about, the stuff that affects them. Let's talk to Robert. Robert, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Can you hear me okay? I can. All right. Um, So I just want to touch base on two things, the economy and um, tough on crime. And, and give you my thinking of why President Trump is handling uh, the debates the way he is. So, uh, first, first, when you look at tough on crime, I think he's doing a preemptive strike against Biden by going after Hunter. Because if you look at President uh, Trump's legal affairs, he has multiple cases of fraud and uh, sexual harassment allegations. And by attacking Hunter, he kind of cuts that attack against him off. Mm -hmm. Um, Then if you look at the economic um, performance, this is really difficult to do on radio, but yesterday I sent you some charts. Mm -hmm. And if you look at growth in GDP for uh, our current president versus his predecessor president, um, what you see, and I did this chart uh, from back to the 1950s, what you see is presidents Trump's growth in GDP is slightly below average, which was the same as Obama in his second term. And President Trump did this while growing the deficit, and this is before COVID hit. So um, I'm kind of a fiscally conservative type person, and that growth in the deficit when we weren't facing an emergency was very concerning to me. Mm -hmm. So again, I think his way of dealing with that type of attack against him is to go on the offensive and accuse uh, yeah. Biden of not doing a good job. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right, I mean, Robert. And I think, I, I guess, I just think at this stage, and, and this is just my analysis, and I, I think that that for I, I, people, people want to vote for people that have a vision of, of where we're going to, to go. And I, I think that's one of the things that has been lacking in the campaign. 
the the vision of okay what what is what is to come what what is show us the light at the end of of the tunnel as i've said before that this is a very different election you know if you would have asked me in january how we would have been covering this race or what the race would have looked like at this point in time i i would have had a much different answer than you know now you know after covid covid in fact changed everything it changed the campaign it changed all the dynamics and but but that's the reality and i'm not sure that i forget not sure i don't think the trump campaign has pivoted to deal with this tonight is i think his last best chance one of the other things and a number of people are making it in the texts i i think he has to curb his his desire to appear like a bully and to interrupt and i understand that some people like that but that that didn't work in the first debate i i actually think if his purpose if one of the goals is to show that, that Joe Biden is not fit for the job, he's too old or, or whatever, if that's one of the goals, one of the ways you do it is maybe just allow Joe Biden to talk a, a little bit as opposed to the constantly interrupting him. Because when you interrupt him and all, you you make the story about your, yourself. Now, I don't know if President Trump can restrain himself. He's he's a street fighter. He's been this way for years and years. And, and I, I guess it would be in some respects naive to think it's going to be anything different. My guess it's going to be just a complete and total poop show tonight, just like it was a poop show a couple weeks ago. But I I don't know what the dynamic is going to be, but I, I will tell you this, for people who are political junkies or people who have a sense of history, it's, it's going to be must-watch television, no question about it. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. The um, really, in my opinion, extremely positive thing that, that happened today was the the Senate Judiciary Committee, on a vote of 12 to nothing, voted to advance the nomination of ACB uh, Judge Amy Coney Barrett to the full Senate. It will be voted on. Um, the appointment will be voted on Monday, and it will be passed probably largely along party lines. Now, you might say, what, 12 to nothing? How did that happen? The There's 10 Democrats on the Judiciary Committee. There's 12 Republicans. All 10 Democrats decided that they were going to boycott the proceedings. You know, So it's like, we're not going to show up that that's we don't like the the process or we don't like the judge or whatever so rather than showing up and casting a vote against her we're just not going to show up which I, I guess maybe it's this symbolic move or whatever but it is a completely fruitless and a waste essentially of of the process so all the republicans show up she's unanimously as it turns out her nomination is advanced i understand the the people who who might be upset about, again, that that process. This just isn't fair. You've got an election coming up in less than two weeks. It is entirely possible that there will be a Democrat who will be in the White House. They they didn't advance Merritt Garland's position when Obama was in his last term. Of course, the the difference is it's who controls things. The Republicans controlled the Senate at the time that Obama, during his last two-year term. So he did not have the power to do that. This dynamic is different, and it, it really is it's about power. There's there's no other way you do it. It's just like when the Senate changed the rules back when Harry Reid was the, the, the leader and the Democrats controlled it. It's why Barack Obama 
back in 2000, you know, p- before the 2012 uh, elections, you know, Barack, Barack Obama realizing that there was a chance coming up in 2012 or 2014 that the Democrats could lose control of the Senate. It's why he went to Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who at the time was in her early 80s and had some health issues, and suggested, hey, th- this might be the time to step down because if you want to cement your legacy with another liberal justice, step down now, give me the appointment, we can get it through the Democrat-controlled Senate. And she had a lifetime appointment. She was under no obligation to do it. She chose not to, and and as a result of of this, we're we're in the situation that we're in. But it, it is all about, I mean, it's all about who has the political power to do things. Now, having said that, I I will say that one of the interesting things that came out of those hearings is there's nobody, I think, in this country who believes that Judge Amy Coney Barrett is not incredibly qualified. Now, I, I understand if you're a liberal, the idea of a brilliant conservative jurist, not to mention a brilliant conservative um, female jurist going on to the Supreme Court uh, m- might bother you. I, I, I get it if you don't like the ideology. But as far as, uh, again, legal knowledge and acumen and qualifications, uh, you, you can't argue that she is incredibly qualified to be on the U.S. Supreme Court. And candidly, I think she's going to be a star for decades for decades to come. And of the different appointments that President Trump has had an opportunity to make, I don't think that there's any question that, that she she is going to be she's going to be the star as far as again legal acumen um and analysis and things of, of the like. And so I, I view today's developments as a very, very positive thing. I can understand why you don't like the process, but as far as the individual um, I, I don't think you can get much better than uh, uh, than ACB. All right, let us switch gears. In Waukesha, the school system has announced that they are going to go back to in-person learning four days a week for middle school and high school uh, students. Apparently, the deal is going to be they're going to have Mondays off. But otherwise, it's going to be in-person learning Monday, Tuesday, um, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. As always, parents who don't like the, this hybrid model have the option to, to opt out. If you don't feel comfortable sending your kids back to school, you don't have to send your kids back to school. But, you know, the school system believes that in-person learning is the best. I don't think anybody can even argue uh, about that point, and so they believe that they can do it safely. Story in the Journal Sentinel, Waukesha middle and high school students are back to mostly in-person instruction. Parents and teachers aren't happy about it. Now, that headline is, of course, misleading because it implies that a majority of parents and teachers aren't happy about it, and that's not the case. A group of parents and local teachers have expressed concern about the Waukesha School District's recent move to increase middle and high school students' in-person learning to four days a week. The new learning model went in effect Monday and is expected to continue until at least November 11th. And then it quotes a woman who has two middle-aged children who are doing virtual learning, and she says, well, I'm concerned about the district's approach although her kids are in the virtual program. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Would you feel comfortable sending your kids 
back to school. 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The vast majority of people I know who have school-age children have come to the conclusion that, that virtual learning for their kids does not work, or at least it doesn't work anywhere near as well as the in-person instruction. Kids need the classroom time. Kids need the socialization. And at least the vast majority of people that I know, um, they're, they're comfortable sending their kids to school. They're comfortable with the precautions the kids have taken. Now, if you're not in that category, maybe you've got, I don't know, grandma who's living at home or you've got somebody who's in, in a compromised system and, and you're, you're keeping your kids in a bubble, that, that's fine. I, I respect that. Um, but, but then you're making that decision for virtual learning. For the people who are exercising the decision to keep their kids home for virtual learning, I don't know, what, what's the beef about other kids being able to go and study in person? If a parent feels comfortable sending their kids to school, I mean, who is somebody else to tell them, well, we don't think you should be able to do it? If you don't feel comfortable sending your kid to school, I get it. Go with God. That's fine. You've got the virtual learning thing. But why should you be able to inflict that on all sorts of other people who come to, with a different position 855-616-1620 that's the accident mortgage talk and text line do you do you think it's safe to send kids to school are you sending your kids to school in person are you comfortable with that we discuss in a moment back to take your calls here's wtmj's jeff wagner I think it's a bizarre story and a very misleading headline. Journal Sentinel, Waukesha middle and high school students are back to mostly in-person instruction. Parents and teachers aren't happy about it. Well, I, okay, if, then if you read it, there, there's a couple parents whose kids are in the virtual learning, so they're, they're not back in school. And, and yes, they're, they're complaining that other kids are. Really? I mean, okay, if you're not comfortable sending your kids to school, I respect that. Go with God. But if other parents are, who are you to tell them, no, I don't want you to do this? 855-616-1620. Let's start with Stacy in Waukesha. Hi, Stacy. Yeah, hi. Thanks so much for taking my call. Sure. Um, I have three kids right now, two in middle school, one in high school. They're all at Waukesha. Um, and, and we're tickled pink that the kids are heading back to school this week with the four days a week, uh, mm-hmm. four days per week, excuse me, in school. Um, it, you know, the, the latest numbers that I've seen, we have 19 positive cases out of 12,000 in Waukesha School District. Um, you know, the, the mitigation efforts are working. Um, I, I understand that there's risk. I work in healthcare. I'm essential. I've been doing this the whole time. Um, but, you know, and I've got a kid actually that's got some immune issues and he's doing okay he's happy to head back to school it's time um the virtual learning wasn't working well for them and i appreciate what your thoughts are that i am very thankful that the school district has given us options nothing is ideal there hasn't been anything ideal about this whole 2020 situation but the option for those that are comfortable to be able to return back to school four days a week is wonderful and they're starting live streaming november 2nd 
there's going to be hiccups. There's been hiccups the whole way, but it, it's 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 worth the effort. I think that the district is trying to provide to us, and I'm incredibly thankful for that. Well, yeah, and Stacy, and, and again, you you sound like a really smart lady who who makes this, this choice and is balancing the the value of the in person instruction for your kids versus the the risk, and, right. and you kind of make that balancing decision. And and maybe maybe if things change, if the numbers spike in the school system, well, maybe they have to come to plan B or plan C. But right now, you know, you're comfortable with it. The school's comfortable with it. And if somebody else isn't, that that's fine. Continue with the virtual learning. But this idea that, well, parents aren't happy about it. What, what, you know, why should somebody else care if your kids have the option to go to school in person, if you're comfortable with it? I couldn't agree more. And I'll be honest, I, you know, it started to take a toll mental health wise on my kids, just being cooped up at home so much. That's, that's really difficult to balance as well. So again, for us, it seems that that you know the risk is outweighs. Right. Or I'm sorry, the benefits outweigh the risk at this time. Well, exactly. Well, thanks to call. And I guess, and that, that's that's my only point. And and you that that last thing you said is is the key. That phrase at this time. And again, this is a constantly evolving sort of thing. And it, it may be, and you know, you, you have the numbers, and you know, obviously, I think it's very clear that in Waukesha thus far, at least as the schools, the, the mitigation strategies, as you were saying, the mitigation strategies are working. So given that that's the, the case, I, I think it's appropriate to give you the option, but you're not forcing other parents into it. Again, I, I understand parents can have all sorts of reasons why they they might not be comfortable having their kids to go to school, and that's fine. That that's fine. They don't have to. Let's talk to Mike and Madison. Mike, you're in WTMJ. Yeah, I mean, I have a different angle. My kids have been back in school since the judge allowed Dane County private schools to put their kids back in. They've been there five days a week. Um, they're K through eight, and it has been fantastic. There's been no problems. The um, infrastructure they put in place for both the students and the teachers were above and beyond uh, even the guidelines at the time, and they spent all summer long getting it ready, and it's paying off, and it has been phenomenal. And having anecdotal conversations with my friends whose kids are in public school, I am so grateful we're back in. It is mm-hmm. not good for a lot of public school families right now. And if you start reading some of the national headlines on public school, you're seeing um, teachers assessing uh, failure rates of children in virtual up to 40% of the class. And and we have none of those problems. My kids are elated. They're happy. They're social. You know, there's some things with them. Oh, I'm with sorry. the math. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. Well, there's some things with the math. Sure. And I think those are issues that we'll deal with later. But for the most part, it's been wonderful. Yeah, and, no. Right. No, um, thank, thanks. No, right. Thanks for calling. And again, that that's that's it. I just, you know, without going into too much detail, I, I can't tell you how many parents and I, I know lots of people now personally who have, you know, the, those school age kids. And they just talk about, well, first of all, if you've got a special needs kid, it just, the, the virtual learning just doesn't work, period. And, and it's, it's not an indictment of the teachers. It's just, you, you need that in-person hand-on, hands-on sort of stuff. But for so many other kids, it's that socialization. It's the interaction with other students. And again, I appreciate, if you don't feel comfortable, I'm not going to be critical of that. If for whatever reasons you don't feel comfortable having your kid go off to school and then coming back to the house, I, I respect that. I, I do but for people who don't have that issue especially given the fact that say in Waukesha 
you know, they, they just have not had outbreaks at, at the school. I mean, the other alternative is to say, okay, we've got this under control. We don't have outbreaks. So what do we do? Just cancel school until we get a vaccine, which is probably maybe two years down the road. That, to me, doesn't make sense. Karen in Waukesha. Hi, Karen. You're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, we have a high school senior at Waukesha West. Um, she was very comfortable when the school year started going two days a week face-to-face they had alternating cohorts tuesday thursday wednesday friday everyone virtual monday right great now this week she's been a little nervous she walks into her ap psychology class there are 30 plus kids in that class now how do you keep them six feet apart how does the teacher do that Mm -hmm. i understand kids do a lot better face-to-face um, she, we have now have a college freshman. She saw her sister last year. You lose the last three months of her senior year. Right. The senior class at West is, they're scared. They're worried. They're the same thing is going to happen to them. They're going to lose graduate. We had graduation, but they're going to lose right. prom. They're going to lose. They've yeah. already lost homecoming. Oh, it's, to say it's, there's it's not stinks. an outbreak. If you look in, if you look in the Waukesha Freeman or on the school board, they, uh, Waukesha South has 117 kids in quarantine right now. So to say Waukesha doesn't have an outbreak in the high schools, there are three teachers at West that are on quarantine. So there, it's it's out there. I think the cohort two days a week was working. This four days, I'm not so sure. So what are you going to do? So you still have the option of going virtual, right? You could have her go virtual if you want. Correct. Yeah. She, um, she could, but for her, face-to-face works well, and she was in the two days a week. We're gonna we're gonna send her four days. I said, let's see how it goes. Mm-hmm. If it's too much, then we'll go we'll virtual. Go all virtual. Yeah. No. I, and and that, again, th- thanks for call, Karen. I appreciate that. That that, that makes sense. I, I understand that, and I understand the the concerns that you have. And if your daughter's got these concerns, I, I think that's reasonable. I, I'm not suggesting anything otherwise. On the other hand, you know, we heard from another caller who was like, she's got kids, and and those kids want to come back, and they don't think that they have a concern. Jeff, my kids go to Cudahy High School. Um, also Monday and Tuesday, um, virtual, in person, Wednesday and Thursday, or vice versa. I would have no problem if they switched and went back to a five day in person thing um i my uh my, my wife her granddaughter and grandson that live in sussex they, they've been back five days and five days a week in person and again it's a little bit different actually the kids have all gotten used to wearing the masks and things like that they're, they're in high school and, and there haven't been any significant problems now again you, you're, you're going to have some people that come down with covid just like you're going to have people that come down with with covid all around i i think I think schools have to do everything they can, in my opinion, to stay open. And if it means that there's some parents who become uncomfortable with that and they want to pull their kids out, I I respect that. But for other parents, I think giving them the option is the right thing to do. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. One final text to wrap up that conversation. Jeff, I'm a retired teacher that has periodically talked with parents, many in tears, about the extreme difficulty of doing the virtual learning, not only on them, but on the kids themselves. I was asked to help at a daycare that had a number of kids, K through second grade, to assist in their virtual learning so the parents didn't have the burden once they got home. The kids did okay, but only okay. And so much is lost face-to-face, hands-on instruction. Having the option is best, in my opinion, for all right now. And that again, that would be the option of 
sending the kids to school or doing the virtual learning depending on the individual needs of your kid and what's going on in your household and all those different things, which I think is is the sweet spot. To me, it's not just the hands-on instruction. It is the socialization. And you know, in our last caller, hey, I appreciate that. I can't imagine. I mean, think about your senior year in high school. Think about your senior year in college. I mean, I tell the story all the time. My niece is a senior at San Diego State, and it, it just... Your, your, your senior year in college is kind of being taken away from you. You know, she was supposed to be studying in, I think, Spain the first semester, you know, but that, that's of course disappeared and you know, the, the campus, it's all virtual. So you've got none of that, that, none of those activities. And in some respects in high school, it's, it's even worse because senior year is supposed to be the big time when, you know, seniors rule and things like that. And unfortunately, it's just, it's just a different, it's, it's just a different world. It's a poop sandwich and there's nothing you can do to, to deal with it. So that the closer we can get to normalcy while still trying to have people stay safe, the, the better off I think it is. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. President Donald Trump and former Vice President Joe Biden on the same stage for the last time until the November 3rd election. You can hear it all right here on WTMJ. Our coverage starts tonight at 6 o'clock as Scott Warris previews the third and final debate. Scott will be joined by someone who once stood right next to President Trump on a debate stage former Governor Scott Walker. Listen to the debate in its entirety on WTMJ. Plus, you can join Scott Warris immediately following the debate as he takes your calls and shares your reactions. It's the third and final presidential debate, actually the third scheduled, only the second presidential debate that actually occurred. You can hear it right here on WTMJ tonight. Check that out. All right. Um, I think I, I told this story. I, I understand the flu shot is controversial. In some people's minds, I get the flu shot every year, Sunday morning, my wife and I, this is how we spend our Sunday morning, you know, got up, you know, had coffee, had breakfast, went across to the Walgreens across the street from us and, you know, got got our flu shots. Got, actually, it took us both back in the room together and the nice nurse gave us both the gave us both the, the shots. So I, I've got it. Um, I get the flu shot. I've gotten the flu shot almost every year for as long as I can remember. And it's not an absolute thing. As I say, I'm last year, um, I, I got the flu. I, I was, I was sick for like a day. I was running a fever. I went into the clinic. I, I was better. I was actually feeling a lot better by the time I, I went in, but I went in because my wife sent me and I always do what she tells me to do. And they ran this test and it came back positive for influenza A, which kind of surprised, I think, even the doctors there because I, by that time, I was over most of my symptoms. I am a firm believer in the fact that even though I got the flu, the fact that I had the flu shot made the symptoms a lot less. So, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm a believer in it. I don't have adverse reactions to these things, or at least I, I never have. I'm not allergic to that sort of stuff. I'm not allergic to penicillin. I, I just, my body tolerates those things well. And so I, I've always viewed the flu shot as a precautionary thing, even, you know, even if it doesn't stop me from getting the flu, I guess I figure, you know, why, why not? I don't have adverse reactions. And this year, it's especially important because, again, with, with, with COVID raging and, and no vaccine for COVID, you know, the last thing you want is, is people getting really sick because of the regular flu. So to the extent the flu shot can make a difference, I'm, I'm down with it. So I've had my flu shot all, already. I bring this up because there, the flu shot has always been mandated in, in certain professions. If you work 
in, say, the, the hospital setting or the medical field, my guess is, as a condition of your employment, you are required to get the flu shot. Now, maybe there, there's some exceptions, but unless you can show that you, you've got a health situation or something, you're required to get the flu shot. And the idea is you're, you're going to be working in that medical center, in the medical system, you're going to come into contact with people who, who might be sick themselves and they might have immune compromised things and all that sort of stuff. And the last thing you want is somebody, you know, coming into the hospital or your clinic, et cetera. And you're sick and you give them the flu. That's the last thing people want. I have friends who work in assisted living facilities, your nursing homes and things of the like. They're mandated to get the flu shots, um, just like they're mandated to go through COVID testing. So it's always been in some of these areas. Mandated flu shots, though, are starting to expand. Story in the Wall Street Journal. More and more colleges are requiring flu shots of students and employees. Those who don't get the shot or don't have an exemption face consequences. Um, They do a survey of 86 colleges and universities, and they find that a couple years ago, almost nobody required it. Now 14% are requiring flu shots. And... um, About 67% of the schools, um, they don't mandate the vaccine, but they are increasing efforts to encourage participation. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you think it's reasonable for employers to do this? Do you think it's reasonable for schools to do this? Now, we require... Um, unless you've got, you know, one of the exemptions, you know, to go to, for example, to go to a public school, you're required to have certain vaccinations. That's not the flu shot. Flu shot is different than that. But more and more businesses, more and more, in this case, it's college universities. They're saying, look, we, if you want to come here, we want you to get the, you're going to be required to get the flu vaccine. Um, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If your employer said, Look, we were concerned about this. We don't want you getting sick. We don't want you coming to work when you might be sick and giving this to other people. So the deal is you've got to get a flu shot. Is that unreasonable? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If your employer did it, how would you react to it? In my case, like I say, I get it anyway, so it's no big deal. If you've got an issue with it, if you're, again, if it's something, you've got a religious objection to it, I appreciate that. If you've got a health concern about it, I appreciate that. But otherwise, as a condition of work, I get it all the time. I guess I don't think it's unreasonable. What do you think? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. All right. More and more employers and colleges, uh, in in addition to outside like the healthcare field, are saying, "Hey, if you want to work here, unless you've got a legitimate medical excuse, we're going to expect you to get the flu shot, not the COVID nineteen vaccine that doesn't exist now, but the flu shot." Is that unreasonable? Let's start with uh, Vanessa in Greendale. Hi, Vanessa. Hi. Um, I was telling your screener. You know, I don't think anyone should be mandated to get anything. We need to have more control and choices when it comes to our own health. And just because you get the flu shot does not mean you're not going to get the flu. Nope. I got it last year. The biggest part of it, you know, the the biggest part of the flu shot is it's supposed to help, you know, 
with the symptoms, you're not supposed to get as sick if they, if they even get the right strains. So, I mean, it's just using common sense. You know, if you're sick and you have a fever, stay home. Just like even with this COVID, it's, it's a lot of common sense has just gone out the window. Well, yeah, but okay, but Vanessa, let's 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 talk about let let's say I, I'm I'm thinking of of my friend um, who works at a at a at a at a big senior living facility. Okay, has regular right. contact with the the patients and uh, with with the re- not patients but the residents at the senior living facility. If if you if you have an outbreak of flu there, it it, it can be a big deal because people can get really sick. So right. her employer may makes her get get a flu shot. Is that unreasonable? You know, she can still carry the flu, even with the flu shot. Yeah. So I kind of feel like, I mean, I get the flu shot. My children get the flu shot. Right. But it just worries me, the mandating of mm-hmm. things like this, especially with the COVID vaccine. I'm not going to put a, vac- a rush vaccine in my body right. or my children's body. Well, see, so I guess it's just a slippery slope. Well, you know, it's interesting you raise that point because, you know, that's going to be the, the next that's going to be the next story because when when the vaccine comes out the, the covid vaccine when it comes out you know that for example healthcare providers are, i would guess are going to be required to get it as a condition of their employment and and then it's going to be a really you know thanks for calling then it's going to be a really interesting th- discussion I, I guess when you have a, an unproven vaccine i don't know what position i'm going to take on that issue although on the mandating it I, i've already said I, I, look, I trust my doctor, and that, that's going to be the question I ask when a COVID-19 vaccine is, is available. I'm going to say, Doc, you, you know my health history. You know, I, I trust you. Do I get it or not? My guess is he's going to tell me to, to go ahead and get it, in which case I, I am. And if it turns out I've made a bad decision, I've been given bad advice, well, okay, that, that's going to be it. But I, I trust my doctor, and I follow their instructions. That's different than the employer, though, telling that you that you have to do it. 855-616-1620. All right, if more and more employers now are mandating the flu shot as a condition of going into the workplace, and that's especially true now because, again, we, we've got the, the outbreak of the flu season is getting ready to start, and then you overlay that on all the COVID stuff that's going on. 855-616-1620. Dennis in Milwaukee. Dennis, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. So, basically, I was just telling your uh, standby guy, but I mean, basically, my wife, she worked in the hospital for like 10 years, and she had to get the shot all the time. But every right. time she got the shot, she'd get like sick. You know, she got the sick feeling and everything. But now that she's been retired for two years, thank God she retired two years ago, you know, and <laughs> yeah. having to be working it now, but she, now she's been great, you know, she doesn't get the shot or anything, so she doesn't go through anything, and she doesn't get sick. And what I was telling them is that I went, most I, my whole life I didn't get the flu shot. And when we had that shot, remember at school you had to have that shot, and everybody made a big deal out of it because they made that big mark on your arm, and everybody right. was a, some sure. shot. I was able to skip out that day, and I got away from that. I never had that shot given to me, thank God. But I was like, petrified. I hate needles. I can't take needles. I was like, oh, I'm not taking that thing, and I was out of there, you know. And well, I, so I, I got to well, well, tell you, thanks for calling, Dan. I mean, look, I, I mean, I don't like needles either. I just, I just don't. I just don't look. I, I I dated a woman in college who was studying to be a medical technologist. I I, I used to let her practice on me, like drawing blood. I, I to this day I can't watch it, but I mean I'm, I guess I'm not squeamish about it. I get, it. but the see the larger point is, and it, it's this balancing act because an employer wants to keep the workforce healthy. The last thing you want as an employer is somebody to get the flu 
or get COVID, but let's just talk about the flu, come into work and then all of a sudden everybody else ends up being sick. Now, it's a it's a key thing in the healthcare industry because, you know, it, you, it's not just your coworkers that you could infect, but it's, you know, theoretically, you know, it's patients, it's, I mean, people in the senior living facility who, you know, aren't going to respond well to that. So, I mean, it, it is the, this battle that's out there. I, I guess I understand the, the balancing with the employers. And from my perspective, I, I get where the employers are coming from. I, I don't like mandates either. But, of course, it's not the government mandating this. It's your employer saying, hey, look, this is this is a condition. If you want to work here, you know, you need to do this because we want to minimize the fact that other people are going to get sick. Bruce, Bruce, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Oh, hi, Jeff. Hi, Bruce. The only reason that I, I the only reason I was calling there is because um, it's my business, and if you want to work here and I want to keep my other employees safe, you need to get a shot. Right. Right. And unless you've got a good, unless you've got a medical reason or some good reason not to do it, you're. You know, you, you want to look out for the other people in the workforce. So this is a condition. You want it. you got to do it. Absolutely, because you're going to affect my bottom line, which is going to affect the other employees' uh, possible living. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, thanks for the call. I mean, and I think, look, here, here's the, let me put on my lawyer hat for a minute. I, I think that, I think employers have a right to do this. I think it's it's a difficult. I mean, and, and you've already seen that. Like I say, it, this is not an uncommon thing in the healthcare field, or for people who you know work with you know vulnerable people and all. It's not an uncommon requirement. So if more and more employers do it, I think it presents the employee with that choice of okay, well, I, I got to do it if I want to continue to work there. Now maybe you feel so strongly about it that you decide, okay, well, I'm 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 done. I'm I'm not going to do that. Um, which you know, I, I get that. I respect that decision as well. I guess if enough people revolt and say we're, we're not going to do this, well, maybe you can force the employer to rethink his or her position on that if they're going to lose three quarters of their workforce. But the bottom line is this is a trend which I think is going to continue to to happen. I think more and more employers are going to do this, and it's going to present more and more employees with that decision, do I do it or not? Like I say, for me, I, I do it anyways. It, it's not that big a deal because I don't have adverse reactions to the flu shot, and I, I just I think it protects me, even though, like I say, I got the flu this year. And this is Jeff Wagner. Okay, I'm impressed. Lots of really smart texts on this. For example, Jeff, how far can an employer go to ensure the health of their employees? Can you mandate no alcohol, only certain food consumption? An unhealthy person is more likely to get sick than a healthy one, so can you mandate other things? Well, the answer is sort of yes or no. For example, in Wisconsin, you you can't penalize people for engaging in legal activities. So you couldn't, for example, fire somebody if if off work, out of work, they, they had a, when they weren't on work time, they, they had a beer or something like that. Don't think you'd be able to to do that. Um, and of course, the flu shot would fit into that category. Somebody else says, "Well, what about my right to work?" Well, okay, in in Wisconsin and in large parts of the country, what what you have is most people are at will employees, and what that means is, um, 
you can be you you can walk in one day and just quit. You don't have to give notice. You can say I'm I'm done. You know, you get to work because you you want to do that. Similarly, employers can fire you for any reason at all or no reason as long as it's not an illegal reason. Sometimes people don't understand that. And again, that's for most employees. Now, if you're if you're under a contract, it might be a little different. If you're a union employee working under a contract, it might be a little different. But I think, you know, when it comes to mandating you know certain activities yeah they, they have the right to do it and you see that playing out now where for example for health insurance you know they, they don't say you can't smoke but if you do smoke you end up paying a lot more for your health insurance premium than people who don't smoke all right when we come back a lot of stuff coming up in the next hour some people still unhappy about the Wauwatosa curfew have you bought a gun and much more stick around Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Melissa, during your newscast, did I, did I hear you say that a, a tipster called in and reported mm-hmm. like a... I just love that word tipster. Tipster? There, there, you just, it's like there, a hipster. There, well, there, there's just... there's. I don't know that there's any other occupation in the world... Other than you know what what you do like as a newscaster, mm-hmm. where you use the word tipster, tipster. Can, can you think that, <laughs> does any does anybody use that in like real life? That, that, that like a tipster? Well, a, a tipster told me to bet on you know Barney Google in the fifth race. Well, or I think something you can like use that. it for anybody that gives you a tip. Well, you could, yeah. I understand, but th- th- I don't think anybody does. That's my <laughs> that's my maybe point. not. It's like a, a, a tipster. Okay, yeah. right. But what we mean is a a, a listener who, who saw this ended up calling in and saying and there, there's a, a mess out there mm-hmm. and. And, you know, and we it were, truly is. We were talking about um, on the on the just off the air about what a mess the roads are. It really it really is right now. There's you know quite a few places where there are accidents on the road. Obviously, it's been raining most of the day, so I think that's causing a lot of slip and sliding, and um, you know just. I, cars. I okay, so I was I, I was coming in. I was a little bit later this morning because just had some stuff going on, mm-hmm. and so I'm I'm driving on the freeway. I'm coming. I'm I'm heading southbound on on 43, and it it was raining like heck. I mean, it was yeah. it was there were a couple spots where it was just pouring, and again, in, inevitably, so I'm I'm in the right lane, and okay, the speed limit before you get to Milwaukee County is, is 70 miles an hour. And and I'm not going 70 because it's just pouring. It's very difficult to see. I'm getting passed by these cars that are going 80 miles an hour. Then you hit this work zone where it goes to 55. That The cars, they slow down to maybe 70, 75. It's pouring rain. Nobody can see. And I'm thinking, you're driving 20 miles an hour over the speed limit. Where are the cops to pull these people over? <laughs> I think people get a little too confident sometimes on the roads where there could be a slick spot or... Or visibility. Visibility, yeah. I mean, you just need to slow down when, it, when the weather's like this. Right, right. Now, so... And inevitably, whenever we talk about this, people text in and say, remind people to turn on their lights. Mm-hmm. It's the law. Yes, it, it is, in fact, the law. But it's like, okay, it, it, it's rain, but there's some heavy rain, and there's pockets of heavy rain, and it's also like in and out. So it, it might be just, just fine, and you have your windshield wipers on for just a little, and then all of a sudden it starts pouring, and you, you just don't need to drive 85 miles an hour in those situations. Yeah, so, we've, all, we've all been in those situations where, oh, I think it's okay. I'm going to speed up a little bit. And then, like you said, you get a big, huge pour right. of rain out right. of nowhere. So. so do us a favor mm-hmm. because you've got a Wisconsin afternoon news show planned. I've got another hour of talk show. And, <laughs> and the last safe. thing we're going to do is keep interrupting to say, oh, there's this turned over. Although today it is. It's a couple of semis, obviously driving too quickly or, yeah. um, or somebody 
somebody stops short in front of them or whatever and semis flipped over, which takes a while to deal with. Frustrating. All right. Be careful out there. 47 degrees, but but raining. All right. I am on record as applauding the efforts that they took in Wauwatosa a week or two ago to to maintain order. Um, everybody knows the story. Uh, the district attorney, John Chisholm, came down with a decision indicating that there were not going to be criminal charges issued against suspended Wauwatosa police officer Joseph Mensa in connection with the shooting of a 17-year-old at Mayfair Mall in February. That was not a surprise to anyone. What Wauwatosa did, now Wauwatosa had been, I'm going to use the word plagued, some people might get upset with it, but okay, life is tough, get a helmet. The Wauwatosa had seen sporadic examples of, of violence from protesters over the course of the several months between February and um, and 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 uh, the decision a couple weeks ago, you had the instance that happened outside of Officer Mensa's girlfriend's house, where people showed up and they showed up to vandalize the place, and somebody ended up taking a shotgun and firing a blast through the the rear door. You had situations where you know Mayfair Mall had to be shut down by people. You know, parading through and disturbing that. You've had situations where the the standalone restaurant, the Cheesecake Factory outside of Mayfair, had to be shut down. And of course, we all know what happened in Kenosha. So, in anticipation of civil unrest, as in addition to the legitimate protest, authorities in Wauwatosa decided to be proactive. As soon as the decision came out, or shortly thereafter, the mayor, who, by the way, is no conservative, the mayor immediately announced that what they were going to do is impose a curfew. And so what happened is you had a curfew that was put in place, and what was it, like 7 at night until like 7 in the morning or something like that, and it was enforced by the National Guard. You had... a. You had a huge police presence, not just Wauwatosa police, but police who came from surrounding areas. You had the National Guard that was there to provide them for support. And you had, over the course of the next couple days, you had 64 people, at least 64 people, who were arrested, um, many of whom violated the, the curfew ordinances that were put in place. You had some minor damage, and believe me, I understand if it's your house that had the windows broken out, you don't consider it to be minor, but compared to all the stuff that went on in Kenosha, the millions and millions of dollars of damage and the arsons and all those things, it, it was minor. Authorities took control, and they did not allow the protests to get out of control. Some of the protesters were clearly trying, in my opinion, to provoke a response from the police. It's why, in some cases, the, the marches, they, they, they didn't start in Wauwatosa until after the curfew went into effect. It was like, okay, it's 7 o'clock, we're going to march in Milwaukee, and now we're at 7 o'clock, we know the curfew is in place, we're going to march on the streets of Wauwatosa, let's dare, let's see what the police end up doing. Um, in general, and again, you can point to a particular, maybe this was excessive or whatever, but in general, I think Waukesha authorities get, Waukesha, Wauwatosa authorities get an A for how they handled it. Well, now in the aftermath, some members of the Wauwatosa Common Council are critical. Looking at a story in the Journal Sentinel, um, Alderman Craig Wilson said he understood why the support of the National Guard wasn't unreasonable, but he said the curfew was short-sighted. The idea of outlawing people in order to manage things is fundamentally discordant 
with our principles under the United States Constitution and the Wisconsin State Constitution that we all look to uphold. I'm really disappointed that the curfew was issued. Um, dot, 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 and it goes on and on. And, and some of the other aldermen saying, you know, this is, you know, we, we shouldn't have gone with the curfew. We're, we're glad that the place didn't burn down. We're glad that we didn't have the violence and vandalism that you had in Kenosha. We don't really even have a problem with the National Guard coming, although some of them did. But they're complaining about the curfew. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, You want to go up to some of these aldermen and say, what don't you understand about what has happened in other cities? And it's not to say that everybody who shows up to protest is going to be engaging in violence. Of course not. But one of the things that you find is the later the evenings go on, the more... I don't know, the people who are there to engage in legitimate protests, they start to go home, they go to bed, whatever, and the character of the protests changes as the evening wears on. And it's typically, not always, but it's typically later on that you find that, gee, the people that are still out there, they're out there to cause trouble. So obviously in Wauwatosa, the thinking was, like, we, we just don't want to deal with this. You know, we don't want to allow it to get out of hand. We're just going to say, you, you, you've got, you can protest. You know, you can protest during the day, etc. But, you know, once it starts to get dark, boom, we're going to impose a curfew. They limited it. It was for, I think it was only in place for like four or five days, etc., etc. And, and things, things have all worked out well. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You have any problems with authorities imposing a curfew for a limited period of time to help them maintain order? And I guess I just don't see what would have been accomplished by saying, okay, we're not going to have a curfew and let's, let's deal with, then we're going to see what we're going to have to deal with at one o'clock in the morning. Cause you know, if that's the case, things are going to be worse. My guess is if there was not a curfew and it was not vigorously enforced, we'd be having a completely different discussion about the nature of damages, the nature of vandalism, and the amount and scope of damage, and maybe even personal injuries, and undoubtedly arrests. We'd be having a different conversation today if you did not have a curfew. You have a problem with authorities imposing a curfew? I sure don't. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This week's sponsor for the Wagner Home Improvement Showcase, presented by Great Midwest Bank, is All-American Window and Door. They are the experts in making your dreams a reality. Find them at allamericanwindowanddoor.com. All-American Windows and Door Company has been providing quality replacement windows, doors, and siding to southeastern Wisconsin for 36 years. In October, they've got 200 bucks off windows, not to mention they have home improvement financing options that cater to your needs. Come in, visit their showroom. They're located right off Mequon Road in German town and if you're not ready for an in-person visit no problem they have a virtual showroom on their website at allamericanwindow.com you can also call 262-255-7170 estimates are free 
855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, the folks that are complaining about the curfew are the same folks that it would have been critical if there wasn't a curfew and things got out of hand. Some people are just never happy. Jeff, I have nothing against curfews. If you looked at the situation from a logical standpoint, from someone that lives in Wauwatosa, you would think that that would be the best conclusion. Yeah. Jeff, I'm from Kenosha. I applaud the seriousness that Tosha, the Tosa took on this. I wish our mayor and governor took the issues in Kenosha just as serious and proactively. Hey, and look what we've talked about in Kenosha. And this, this is the lesson when I had the opportunity to talk to, um, Kenosha Sheriff David Beth a, a week or so ago when we were doing our WTMJ 2021. First thing he said was, look, our, our problem was that the first two nights we were overwhelmed. We were outmanned. We were in a defensive sort of situation. You know, Wauwatosa was not going to allow that to happen. And I think once it became clear that the Wauwatosa had set down rules and that these were rules that were followed, I think that the message, I think that stopped outside, I'm going to say outside agitators from pouring into the, the area. It definitely allowed police a tool to maintain order. And the truth of the matter is, okay, what, why do you need the protests at 12 o'clock at night or 2 o'clock in the morning anyways? I mean, what 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 good was to be accomplished? If you want to stage rallies and marches and stuff, plenty of opportunities to do that. I think they balance things out extremely well. Bob in Wauwatosa. Bob, you're in WTMJ. Yeah, hi Jeff. How are you doing? Good. What do you think? Yeah, well, um, I'm a veteran of the Chamber of Commerce in 1968 when we had those riots, and Henry Meyer did almost the same thing. And I'm not a fan of the lefties, but I think Dennis McBride did the same thing. You are either in control of the situation or you're not in control of the situation. And this is what happened, and I applaud him. Well, well, right. What What is the alternative? Is the alternative to allow, say, what happened in Kenosha to happen? And then after the first night, you have people out at two o'clock in the morning and they're burning buildings or whatever. And, and then you decide to come in. No, they they were proactive. And I think that's what we want. I, I, that's what we want, whether it's Wauwatosa or Racine or, or any other place that might be looking at, I don't know, potential violence that comes as a result of some of the lawful protest. You're right. I was uh, down in Kenosha just now because I have a building about two blocks from where they burned everything down. It was a disaster of bad planning, bad uh, management, and everything. Yeah. Uh, Henry Meyer did exactly the right thing in 68. He closed everything down at 6 o'clock. The National Guard was in there at 530 in the morning, and everybody came to riot. And guess they gave a riot, and nobody uh, was <laughs> able to riot because everything was closed down. He right. couldn't. They couldn't move back and forth. Yeah. And that's what happened here. Otherwise, I think we would have had North Avenue burning down. Well, I but I don't know. I, I mean, I, I hope not. But, I mean, you did have, there was a little bit of a history on, on this as well. Thanks for the call, Bob. There was a bit of a history on this because... Over the course of the last several months, I mean, the incident in Mayfair happened in February. The decision came down in October. Over that, you, you mean you had not 
a large group of protesters, but you, you had a passionate group of protesters who had engaged in behavior that was, in fact, extremely disruptive, or at least disruptive, if not, I'm not going to say destructive, except for the incident, you know, out at the, the officer's girlfriend's house, but it, it was certainly disruptive. And so you, you had a track record. They just didn't want things to get out of control, and they succeeded. And to me, that's something that you should be applauded for. Jeff, I have, this is a text, I have no problem with it. Um, I, it was a tool local authorities could use if protesting began to get out of hand. I live in Wauwatosa, very close to where the, the damage, you know, was. Um, protesters had their chance the first night, but once the vandalism started, it was clear the community was going to shut it down and not allow it to get out of hand. The curfew was a, a simple way to do that. I believe that uh, the authorities and most residents, for that matter, were open to protesting as long as it remained peaceful. Yeah, I, I think so. I think so, too. And this was the balancing act. I actually think that, that Kenosha moving forward is a model on Kenosha, that Wauwatosa is a model that a lot of other places can look at and say, OK, that this is how you, you handle this. You you anticipate you do you plan. You don't allow your yourself to be outnumbered you put in rules and then you say we're going to enforce these rules to me that that's how you you handle this and as a result of that you have a handful of windows broken instead of you know 30 businesses burned to the ground